Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. All right, welcome to Plan for Life Now. We are done with our hiatus. Right, the hiatus, the <laughs> unplanned. I don't remember those guys talking about a hiatus on their last podcast. It was an unplanned. You could say we we just got a little busier. Things we did. Just seemed like the weeks just kind of got got away from us. And you know what? We're doing our real job instead of sitting here chatting. So exactly, I think that's a good thing. But yeah, we apologize. It's been about a month since our last podcast. And, wow, uh, just been a little bit busy. Yeah, but it's interesting because to a certain extent in the world that we deal in, nothing has happened in the last month except for good stuff. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about the rest of the world. The rest of the world, bad. Oh, sure. Like Puerto Rico, like the Houston flood. I don't know if that was in this month break we've had. or There's been bad, maybe some negative things certainly happening in the world. But in the world of... What we deal with, which a lot of times in this podcast is the markets, right. nothing but good. I know. I, I A couple of times we had thought about doing one. I said, ah, what are we going to talk about? Uh, we could talk about how the market's gone up for over eight years and it keeps going up and eventually it might go down and you need to plan for that. Hmm. kind of feels like we've covered that ground. Exactly. And not that it's not important to cover it again, but... Yeah, nothing jumped out at me saying, gosh, we've got to talk about this. But something happened last week that did jump out at me, out of both of us, and that is Richard Thaler won the Nobel Prize in Economics. Right. And This would be more you than me, but okay. okay. Thanks for throwing me in there, too. Well, you know, I, th- I think it piques your interest yeah. a little bit. Um, and if you're sitting there going, well, it doesn't pique my interest, I don't really care. Uh, Richard Thaler, whether you know it or not, has probably had some sort of impact on your life, right? And let me kind of back up, describe who he is. He's a professor at the University of Chicago, and he's what they call a behavioral economist. And behavioral economics is sort of a relatively new field, and he's been one of the pioneers in behavioral economics. And I've talked about him before and some examples of behavioral economics. And these are these decisions that you and I as regular human beings make that an economist would not predict that we would make. Right? Because right. economists, they sit in these rooms and they think about the way that people should behave and they assume that all people are rational individuals who will always act to maximize their interests, right? That's what an economist, you know, a lot of these articles, if you've been seeing these, you know, they're in every every, uh, publication out there, they use the Dr. Spock example, 
Now, I was not a big Star Trek person, but that's Doctor Spock, Doctor or Mister. Is it Dr. Spock? No, Dr. Spock was an old baby doctor that our listeners (laughs) remember. Mr. Spock, and you don't, because you're too young. Mr. Spock was the guy from Star Trek. Right, okay. As I said, I was not a big Star Trek fan, and I'm still not. But Mr. Spock... Have you ever heard of Dr. Spock? I have heard of Dr. Spock. Okay. But I wasn't connecting that there. Mr. Spock, what what was he? Do you know this stuff? Was he a Vulcan? He was a Vulcan. I didn't okay. watch it. My brother was one of these crazy Star Star Trek guys and Okay. This is going way off topic, but one time we went to a Star Trek convention. Oh, this was in the 70s <laughs> at Capital Center. This was obviously before MCI Center and before it's not even called that anymore. Capital right. Center. And I believe, he's my younger brother, I believe I was giving him grief about that for a year afterward. It was a source of teasing that was really enjoyable for me. Why did you stop after a year? I would Because the topic got stale after a while. (laughs) Right. Okay, so Mr. Spock, I have seen some of the more recent movies. He is a supremely rational individual. Right, all logic. All logic, no emotion, and... That's how he behaves. That's how he makes decisions. And that's how a lot of economists viewed individuals. And Thaler comes in and says, well, that's not really the case. We are not rational, optimizing creatures, as he calls them, econs. So he, he you know, has this whole species of human beings that he says are you know, homo economists. Uh-huh. And homo economists acts like Mr. Spock, and they make rational decisions. But in the real world, we don't act like that. And I remember the first time I heard this example uh, back at some conference, and it's, you know, it's kind of a, an average example, but they call it Thaler's Coffee Mugs. Right? And here's how it went. He had a, a class, an econ class, and he had everyone in the class. He gave them a dollar. Right, everybody okay. in the class gets a dollar, and then he had a bunch of coffee cups sitting up in front of the class, right. and he said, "Using that dollar, figure out how much you'd be willing to pay for one of these coffee mugs." Right, right. so people write down their answers, and they say, "Well, you know, kind of like this one. I'll pay seventy cents. I, you know, I don't really like that one. Whatever." And the answer came to these people were basically willing to pay something like eighty-five cents for a coffee mug. Then he flipped the example around, and the next time he gave them all coffee mugs, Right. and then he said, I'm willing to buy it from you. How much will you sell it for? And on average, people wanted to sell it for about $1.10, right? It, you know, if you're just thinking about this process in this example, it doesn't really make sense. Why was the coffee cup more, valu- coffee cup more valuable to you when you hold it? Versus when you're buying it. Well, because at one point you have to pay for it, and the other thing, you're collecting money for it. Yeah. So if I'm collecting, I want to collect more subconsciously than I want to pay. And not even subconsciously. (laughs) But, you know, from a rational point of view, this really shouldn't make sense. You know, you should analyze the situation, say, a coffee cup's value to me is $1. Whether I'm buying or selling, I should be neutral about it. This is something they now call the endowment effect. And you see this in investing when people own certain stocks or certain investments. 
it's more valuable to them simply because they already own it, right? Did I, I already have it, so it must be it must be more valuable to me, right? Versus when they don't own it and they're buying something, then it's not as valuable to them, right? Now he goes through and and he's got, of course, many many examples that you know I I love going through some of these examples, but probably the one that was most impactful to the real, I don't want to say the real world, to the average listener out there. The one that was most impactful was the campaign that he did trying to get Congress to pass auto enrollment features and 401k plans. Okay, well, that's basically that when you get a job, you're automatically going to have money come out of your check? That's it. That's all it is. Instead of you having to sign up for it. Yeah, so most plans in the past... In fact, pretty much all plans, 401k plans, TSPs, retirement plans, when you started working at a company, the HR director or whoever you spoke with, they'd say, hey, if you want to sign up for the 401k plan, here's what you have to do, right? Instead of doing that, he helped Congress usher in a law that said automatically you're enrolled. You're going to save 3% automatically. Right. Now, if you want to opt out, that's fine. There's no penalty. You right. can opt out anytime you want. But if you do nothing, we're going to put 3% of your pay in there. That, and of course, you know, I will throw in the, the caveat that he wanted to do much more than 3%, but right. you know, you got to get done what you can get done. Um, and that basically over doubles participation in 401k plans. You know, Vanguard said that their average 401k participation before this was at 42%. Now it's up above 91%. Right. Wow. Right. So, and, you know, one of his more recent books is this book called Nudge. And the whole concept of Nudge is that these little changes like that, I mean, there was no change in incentive there. There was no, you know, you weren't getting more money if you did this or anything like that. But just that little change of the way that you position it sure. makes a big difference. In one sense, so A, it's already done for you, so you don't have to do something. And people don't like doing things, especially when they're considered extra things, quote, to do. Mm-hmm. right? And the other, I think, and I might just be reading into this, is that it's somehow being told to you that it's good. It's so good that we're going to automatically do it. It's like a no-brainer. Yeah. But it's a no-brainer because we're automatically doing it as opposed to giving you a choice that's automatically a more yeah. like a coin toss versus uh, think, a no-brainer. Well, I think that's right. I, they don't specifically spell that out. But just from our experience working with people, um, it, you know, when you talk with somebody and their company or the government has provided certain choices – in a 401k or TSP, they look at those choices because they've already been provided as, well, these are somehow better than what else is out there. And it's right. it's that you know unofficial, official, whatever you want to call it, kind of stamp of approval saying, hey, these are good. Everything else out there, who really knows? I, I think that's definitely a nudge. I think it's interesting. And on the flip side... And I'm leaving this for two seconds, but we'll get back to this in a second. Sure. On the flip side, look at how psychology, according to Richard Thaler, because I have a feeling I'm right about this, look how dangerous the normal psychology of the average person is right now, especially 
the person without a pension. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're 401k. Let's say you're 59 and a half or older, so you can roll your 401k, even if you're still working there. Yep. And you're and we're up at this huge high right now. But you all you have to live on for the rest of your life is your 401k balance and your pet and your social security because you don't have a pension. Now the what we feel anyways the right thing to do is to be able to take some of that have the ability to create some income sources out. Let's organize part of that money for income the best way we can for retirement income to supplement social security before the market plummets. Right. Uh, many financial advisors would agree with that. If I look at back at my past in this business and looking at people in retirement, retirement circa 1998, retirement circa 2006, retirement now circa 2017. Um, history says do that kind of move and you're, you're, you're going to be. But to make the move now, thinking about Thaler's, some of this stuff already, to make that move is mm-hmm. psychologically, I would think, very difficult for people well, because why would I leave my thing now? It's doing great. Well, yeah, and we've talked about this, never use these terms, but a nudge for people would be if we had a, a market correction. Exactly. Right? I mean, a market correction would be a nudge to, to wake people up to go, oh, yeah, this doesn't go up every single year, and oh, yeah, I, I could, you know, for lack of a better term, be screwed in retirement if I don't secure right. some of that. And... You know, I had written down some other things. I mentioned the endowment effect was one of the things that he, you know, kind of coined that in this field um, of, you know, you tend to value those things that you hold. Another one that I was thinking of as you were talking about this is hindsight bias. And we're all guilty of this, where after the crash, you say, oh, of course I should have seen that. Of course, I should have known that in 2017, that equity valuations were getting a little too high, and I should have known that North Korea was going to launch a missile, and I should have known that you know there would be impeachment proceedings or whatever. You know, that's hindsight bias that we're all guilty of it because, in retrospect, it seems obvious when these things happen. I'm guilty of it not in money, though. I'm guilty of it in like, oh, I can't believe I bought into another Redskins season after five games. <laughs> that I have, but for money, to be honest with you, for me personally, my biggest passion in this business is that argument. That's maybe because I was a history major, one of the few in this business, versus a finance major, mm-hmm. and very into history. Because history always repeats itself. Right. That's why I look at long-term care insurance as a passionate thing that I do, even though I've done literally over six, 700 seminars on it. I'm always passionate because I know it's coming down the pike. <laughs> it's, we, we can't do the hindsight thing on this. If you need long, if you have Alzheimer's in the future, you need long-term care, and you're not covering this, you're going to be wiped out. And it's not good enough to say, oh, I should have. Right. Same thing. My other passion in our business is just this is retirement income for people with only looking forward to Social Security and a 401k or their IRA or their other assets where to do this now. And yeah, it hasn't happened yet. But to do it now, there's to me, that's a passion. To get people in that particular situation to move. Well, and... <laughs> and it's not just... And, and you know, and, and, uh, in both those things, and I know I'm... Or at least I f- sometimes feel guilty about it. Um, it sounds salesy. Yeah. Oh, you're just trying to sell sell a policy. Well, 
in a sense, I am, because I believe in this, and you have enough money to buy it and protect. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to get us to work with you. Yeah, because you're not, and you're not doing the right thing now, and we do the right thing, what we believe is the right thing. Yeah, and and what you're saying reminds me of an old colleague of ours, George, who, who used to say similar sort of thing that you're talking about, and he would say, it's like you're watching, you know, when you're dealing with someone and they're saying, well, it's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to need long-term care. You know, if I need it, just take me out back and shoot me. Or, you know, the market's not always going to go up, but I'll be fine when it goes down. He would say, this is like watching a rerun of one of your favorite TV shows. You know how it's going to go. <laughs> You've seen it before, <laughs> right. right? And that's very similar sort of thing that we're getting in this this time when people are, oh, yeah, I know it might go down. What does go down mean? You know, lose 2% right. or so? Right. Yeah, sure. No, but we're I mean, not, and, it, and we move into, unfortunate, well, not for, it's not unfortunate. It is fortunate. It's good. It's awesome. It's great that we've had this amazing bull market. But the notion, as of doing this show, the S&P 500 is around 2550 the notion that it would go down to 2000 is, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say at some point I expected, yeah, but I'd be lying. I could be point, wrong. Right. But that is a, what kind of percentage loss is that? Well, that would only be 20%. Yeah. I mean, that would only be a 20% loss. So, I mean, that's not, not ridiculous. Well, what if Those it goes happen- down to, you know, whatever, 15,000 or 1500. 1500. Yeah, sure. Could happen. All right. Well, hopefully you learned something from Richard Thaler. There's a whole lot more out and there. And he got a Nobel Prize for this, so he, he must be on target. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's kind of funny. Like Early on in his career, he was considered kind of fringe and not well accepted because economics was about you know economic theory and it was about – you know, coming up with these principles of how economies worked and, and all this. And he brought this psychology element into it that, I mean, is so relevant in our everyday lives. Um, a I lot think of half our say, job is being a psychologist. Right. Oh. All right, let's wrap it up there. We'll try to do another one in, uh, in another week or two okay. instead of a month. How about that? <laughs>